Well, good morning, Christ City East Vancouver. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Remaining standing, let's pray. Father, have mercy on us sinners. For when we've sinned against you and others, have mercy. For when in our self-righteousness we've considered others too far gone, have mercy. For those moments we've written uh, someone off as a lost cause, have mercy. Help us to trust once again that you sent your Son, the Son of Man, to seek and save the lost. Amen. Well, this week we're starting our series, Loving Your Neighbor in a Time of Conflict. This week, our topic is mercy and cancel culture. Next week, we'll be looking at neighboring and loving those in nearest proximity to you. And then the week after that, we'll look at racism and the gospel. Loving your neighbor in a time of conflict. The overarching question of this whole series is, how do we love people when things are this bad? Our goal over these next three weeks, and my goal over these next three weeks, is not to be theoretical or high-minded, but to be very, very practical. It's to show us in practical detail how to follow Jesus in a growingly contentious world. So today we're going to look at what it means to love people like Jesus in a world that viciously devours one another. A, a world not marked by mercy, but by vengeance. A world not marked by patience, but by snap judgments. It's a world not marked by grace, but by punitive mob justice. And cancel culture is the fruit of such a world, the child of such a world. If you don't know what cancel culture is, let me put a definition on the screen for you. Canceling someone typically occurs when a public figure is found to have said or done something deemed offensive and are thus canceled for it. And usually this looks like mass outrage and demands for a boycott of the individual's work, a blocking of their public platform, their firing from their job or work opportunities, or the retraction of invitations to events. This is cancel culture loosely and broadly defined. And you might be saying, Jake, this seems like a very niche thing, small thing to be doing an entire sermon on. 
But what I want us to see today is that cancel culture reveals something quite foundational to our world marred with sin, about our world that is broken and vengeful and not filled with grace and mercy. And to show us just exactly what's going on in our day-to-day, I want us to look at an old story, the story of Zacchaeus we read in Luke 19. It's there that we'll see what cancel culture gets wrong about people, about Jesus, and about the gospel. That's, those are our three points. What cancel culture gets wrong about people, Jesus, and the gospel. And so with your Bibles open, I invite you to enter this story with me at Luke 19, verses 1 to 2. Let's read those two verses together. And there we read Luke record. He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And Jesus is entering the final week of his life. He's entering his, his passion week. And to get to Jerusalem, he has gone through Jericho. And, and in Jericho, we find there's a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And this matters because for Luke's audience, it told them everything they thought they needed to know about Zacchaeus. And, and here's what I mean. As good Roman citizens, the Jews, like you and I, had to pay taxes to their overlords. Uh, the Jews paid taxes to the Romans. So in each city, the Romans established a tax-collecting system run by, you guessed it, tax collectors. And the problem was, in Jesus' day, these tax collectors often went around and took more from the, from the citizens than they were supposed to. Uh, around and around, the tax collector would go, and it would be some for Rome and some for me. And it's no surprise, then, that these tax collectors were despised people among the Jews, even if many of them were Jews themselves. And so these tax collectors would go around, and even if they didn't take that much, or even took the allotted amount assigned to them, it would still be a regular reminder to the Jewish people that they were not in a home of their own, a place of their own. And what our text tells us is that Zacchaeus is not a mere cog in this unjust and corrupt system, in this evil system, but rather that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, a Jewish man and therefore a trader who is quite near the top of this whole thing. Zacchaeus, all of Luke's readers would know, is not a good guy. Now, to help you imagine just who might be the modern-day equivalent to Zacchaeus, I thought we could think of it like this. Zacchaeus is a man oppressing one group of people in order to benefit personally, financially. Zacchaeus is oppressing a group of people in order to benefit financially. He's not unlike modern-day slave traders who oppress young women and young men and sell them in order to benefit financially. He is, you can see this now with that comparison made, in the eyes of his peers, a repugnant person, evoking real feelings of disgust, betrayal, pure hatred in those he walked past. These are people he extorted, people he cheated. And so what happens next in our story really shouldn't surprise us. Look at Luke 19, verse 3. And, this is Zacchaeus, 
He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on, listen to this, account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now what's missed in the children's songs about Zacchaeus? You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And, and what's missed even in just a quick read of this text is just exactly what the crowd is doing. Why can't Zacchaeus see Jesus? What prevents Zacchaeus from coming to Jesus? It, it's not just his height. It's not just the size of the crowd. We all know that if someone is revered in a community, the crowd will part for them. If they're respected, they'll find a way to let this man see. No. The crowd is not accidentally or just so happens to be between Zacchaeus and Jesus. The crowd has judged Zacchaeus unworthy of Jesus. Listen to one commentator. Joel Green writes, It is not simply that Zacchaeus cannot see over the crowd. Rather, the crowd itself is present as an obstacle to him. On account of their negative assessment of Zacchaeus, the people refused him the privilege of seeing Jesus as he passed by. Hmm. Almost 2,000 years stand between Zacchaeus and us. And yet... Our attitudes at times towards people remain the same. The crowd, we could say, lives on. You and I, like the crowd who came before us, retain a category labeled lost cause. A category labeled too far gone. A category labeled views too vile, heart too wicked, Redemption impossible. In cancel culture, there is no redemption. You are always and forever your latest tweet, email, or paper. And I want to just pause for a second because I think there's an understandable objection that might be rising in your mind right now that goes something like this. Hold on, Jake. What about calling evil evil? What about saying something's wrong when it truly is wrong? Let me say this. There is, I think, despite all that I've just said, a, a foundational good impulse in many examples of cancel culture where a person or a group of people who have been silently abused or oppressed rise up in opposition to their oppressor. Let me give you an example. Uh, Dr. Larry Nasser. he was a team physician for USA Gymnastics at the beginning of this uh, millennium. And Dr. Larry Nasser systematically sexually abused young female gymnasts over decades. Horrific, evil stuff. Terrible. But as Rachel Den Hollander, one of the former gymnasts, one of the former victims, writes in her book, What is a Girl Worth? Her pursuit of justice, her, her mission to see that Nasser saw justice was not rooted in getting her piece of flesh, but was rooted instead in a supernatural love. Listen to what Den Hollander writes. If I were motivated solely by the desire to triumph, 
My gifts could become dangerous to others and ultimately to myself. But the safeguard against this, they told me, was to be motivated by love. Love would ensure a willingness to hear and see the truth, even if it meant admitting I was wrong. Love, listen, would ensure compassion, even for those who did wrong, while still enabling fierce pursuit of the truth. Should Christians fiercely pursue truth? Yes. Should we fiercely pursue justice? Yes. But in our pursuit of justice, the Christian does not begin with hatred or vengeance at the forefront of their mind. They begin with love. They begin with recognizing that foundationally they are recipients of Jesus' love, that they are not unlike Zacchaeus, that they're even not unlike Dr. Larry Nasser. It's love, then, that seeks to restore what is broken. It's love that seeks to mend what has been torn. It is love that seeks to make whole what has been halved. And so, for example, when we confront a brother or sister in sin, we don't start on Twitter. We don't start on the op-ed of the New York Times. No, we start in private because the goal is not to shame the person or destroy the person, but to see them brought to wholeness, brought to fullness, brought back to healing. And what cancel culture believes about people is that they are hopelessly static that I am good and they are bad and that never will change, that they are irredeemably lost. And what happens next in our story reminds us, reminds us that that is never the case. Let's read Luke 19, 4-7 and together see, and this is point two, what cancel culture gets wrong about Jesus. Verse four begins like this. And so he ran ahead, this is Zacchaeus, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, this is the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And so Zacchaeus, undeterred by the crowd, he climbs up a sycamore tree, and from there Jesus looks up and sees him. Now it doesn't say this explicitly in the text, so I want to be careful here. But here's what I think the crowd wants from the confrontation from Jesus and Zacchaeus. I think they want to see Jesus destroy Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a traitor. He is the enemy of the crowd ideologically in every way, politically, socially, in every single way. He is the crowd's enemy. The crowd wants to be able to upload a video to YouTube that has some clickbait caption like, religious conservative destroys scumbag tax collector. They want Jesus with just one of his you know, famous turns of phrase or perhaps one of his penetrating parables, to reduce Zacchaeus to a puddle of a man, to destroy him. And I think the crowd wants this to happen because when it doesn't happen, listen to what they do. Luke says they all, what? Grumbled. <clears throat> he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
Jesus does not cancel Zacchaeus. Instead, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. In inviting himself into Zacchaeus' home, Jesus, we see this, has put his reputation on the line. But the result is, is amazing. The result of Jesus refusing to cancel Zacchaeus, inviting himself into his home, is that Zacchaeus is immediately and forever changed. Look at verse 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Just to, just to note, the law did not require that. The law did not require that much generosity if you had cheated someone else. He's going over and above the law. And then in verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. This son of Abraham in, in term in Luke is a salvific term. He, he's come to be saved. He's a true child of, of Abraham. See, when we as Christians, when we participate in cancel culture, what we're doing is really bringing a Jesus of our own imagination to bear on the situation. And this Jesus of our own creation and imagination sounds something like this. First, this Jesus only had to save me, but just a little bit. Because compared to that person and what they say and what they believe, I'm not really that bad. But the other part of this imaginary Jesus that we bring to the conversation goes like this. This Jesus is trigger happy. This Jesus, we believe, is eager and ready to shoot down the wicked other, to destroy the unrighteous other. But as we spent all summer seeing, is this who Jesus is? Is this who our Savior is? In Isaiah, we read of the coming Messiah, our Messiah. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. David French is an American uh, journalist, lawyer, who wrote an article when one of his friends, a professor in the United States, committed suicide in response to him being canceled. He was canceled, he committed suicide, and David French wrote this lament on his blog. And he says this, and he reflects on the, uh, the Isaiah text. That person you call an enemy is so very often a bruised reed. Even those enemies who can seem most aggressive and most outspoken. Shall we break them in our righteous response? Because remember, the alternative to turning my cheek is striking his. One alternative to blessing is cursing. One alternative to kindness is cruelty, and cruelty destroys lives. Then he goes on to say this, Christ, while in torment on the cross, said of the very soldiers who were killing him and gambling for his garments, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now we look at a few of a man's tweets and declare, cancel him, for he does not deserve to work. I love what French asks. Shall we break them in our righteous response? And Jesus looks at people, bruised reeds, not as hopelessly static, but as lost sheep, as desired recipients of his love. He sees people, evil people, just like you and me, and says, I came here exactly for that person. 
I came to seek and to save the lost. Which brings us to point three and what's ultimately at stake here. See, we have to see what cancel culture gets wrong about the gospel. About the gospel. See, ultimately the good news according to cancel culture sounds something like this. I'll put it on the screen. You, you are a good person. And you can be sure of that. You can know that you're a good person if you cancel the bad people. In other words, how do you know you're in or, or you're saved? By putting people out. But by differentiating the two. I'm in because I'm not like that. But the good news of Jesus is something quite different. I'll put it on the screen again. The good news of Jesus says we are desperately broken and sinful people. All of us. All like Zacchaeus. But we can be saved because the good person, the only good person, was canceled for us. Where we begin matters. Do we start our day believing that we are judges and other people are in need of our mercy? Or do we begin our day by viewing ourselves firstly and most importantly as recipients of mercy, of, of grace? People who count themselves among the lost who the Son of Man came to save. If we truly believe the gospel of Jesus, here's what I think this should look like in our life. Because did you notice that Zacchaeus' salvation was wrapped up in his response? It led to action. It led to fruit of his repentance. So too, if we are to stand against cancel culture and the merciless world it, it, it seeks to build, you and I must show fruit in keeping with the gospel, in keeping with our identity in Christ. And I have three things for us to consider by way of being very, very practical as we go. First is this. We need to, and I had to do this this week, and let me invite you to join me. We need to, in our hearts right now, ask the question, who have we quietly canceled? You might not have been part of an online mob. But in your heart, we cancel people all the time. We write people off as lost causes all the time. We write off groups of people as lost causes all the time. Who have we written off? Who have you written off as a lost cause? Who have you quietly canceled? Second thing is this. Our lives need to be marked with radical humility and wisdom and love, both offline and online. I don't stand before you as someone who has figured this out. If you know me, you know this is true. We should be, and I ought to be, slow to speak, slow to type, eager to listen in all and every circumstance. See, when we're confident in the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, we're freed to listen. We're freed to enter the pain and the suffering of other people. To hear what they have to say, even if we vehemently disagree. Our lives should be marked with radical humility, both online and offline. Third thing is this. It means that as we pursue justice, we need to be constantly reassessing our heart. Am I and are you pursuing justice from a place of love? 
even love for the offender? Or, or do you want to administer, do I want to administer my own personal wrath? Do I want to get my pound of flesh? Do I see myself and do you see yourself not only in the victim but also in the victimizer? And do we ultimately relinquish our thirst for vengeance to the God who says, vengeance is mine? So here's how I want us to pray as we close this morning. I want us to pray that the Lord would fill our church with a bunch of Zacchaeuses. A bunch of people who've been canceled by the world. People who maybe in the past, when they've tried to see Jesus, have in fact been blocked by Christians who said, you know what, Jesus, he's not for you. He's not for you. Because here's the reality, and here's the theological truth that we need to be faced with. It's with people like Zacchaeus that Jesus has been and is currently filling his church with. Jesus has always come to seek and save the lost. Make no mistake about it. Though Luke writes that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, it was Jesus who called Zacchaeus down from that tree. It was Jesus who said to Zacchaeus what? I must eat with you tonight. And it was Jesus who said, today salvation has come to this house. So may Jesus keep on doing what only Jesus can do and may you and I not get in the way. Can we pray together? Now, Father, again, we ask for forgiveness for when we have written off people or a person as a lost cause. I pray that if there's someone listening right now who has been on the receiving end of this heart in the past, I ask that you would heal the ways that they've been hurt, maybe even by the church and maybe even by church leaders. I pray that we would be a place full of grace and mercy because we know you, Jesus, and what you've done for us, that we'd be a place that extends grace and mercy to others, that they might encounter you, that they might know you, that they might walk in your love. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.